Welcome to Stories in Life. You're on the radio with Mark and Joe. We share stories that affirm your belief in the goodwill, courage, determination, commitment, and vision of everyday people. Our goal is that through another person's story, you may find connection, no matter your place in life. The stories we select will be inspiring and maybe help you laugh, cry, think, or change your mind about something important in your life. Join us for this episode of Stories in Life. Welcome to another episode of Stories in Life. We welcome today Daryl Mann, an expert in systematic innovation and a global consultant in helping organizations find their DNA for success. In the first episode, he introduced us to systematic innovation, the notion of the red world, green world, organizations that are very good at operational excellence, and the green world, those that are really good at innovation. In the second episode, he identified how to solve the right problem and introduced us to the generational research that's been proven across continents. In this episode, you'll learn how Daryl sees failure as learning. And where does he see currently the most innovation in the country, in the world? He also introduces his new book, Hero's Startup Journey, for those people who are both entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs wanting to learn about leading change. And he ends this episode talking about how truth will be the important skill of the future, finding truth and solving problems with truth, given our future with artificial intelligence. Welcome, Daryl Mann. Daryl, we've been visiting about generational research, systematic innovation, uh, not making trade-offs, uh, coming up with new ideas for, for the, the country, for the globe. You've got a really special perspective because you're working across continents, helping both business and nonprofits look for innovation. And you said that there were like 2% of entities out there capable of that. So as we look forward, what are some of the things that you're thinking about in terms of big picture thinking and innovation and knowledge work? Yeah, it's, I mean, we spend a lot of time heartaching about these kind of things. I think it's also fair to say that as a business, we've been very reactive. So yeah, again, we're not only salespeople or marketing people ever. So we write papers, we write books, articles. The thinking is if, and if if nobody knocks on our door, then they probably weren't very good. And if they do knock on our door, then we'll go and talk to people. So what's come out of that has been a very clear trend towards the amount of work that we're doing in Asia uh, these days, where it's especially in India, but you know, not far behind in China, the absolute insatiable thirst for knowledge, uh, I would say, which uh, comes to me in a, as a stark contrast between what I see in the US in most parts of Western Europe. It's almost almost a cliche, I would say, that the, the DNA of the way people think changes when they've been successful. And what I mean by that, any big corporation in the US, you know, once they've been successful, I think you can see it with a lot of the Silicon Valley companies right now. A hubris kicks in. Uh, but what also kicks in with it is certainly from a leadership perspective, don't be the person that messes this up now. So you go from a very dynamic forward thinking attitude to a very protective one. By doing that, you almost guarantee your failure. It's the organizations that I think keep moving forward that will be the ones that are successful. So I think Steve Jobs understood it. I don't think Tim Cook does. Uh, I think Elon Musk understands it. I think his flaw is he's not interested in making money. I think he's the holder of the American dream and works on the expectation that people are just going to keep 
throwing money at him so he can keep doing big, exciting things. We live in a world which is a, a knowledge-based world. For me, it feels like the inevitable winners are the, the, the parts of the world with the most brains in them. And yeah, just from a population perspective, that equals India and it equals China. So I think what, we're, what we are seeing is a shift towards those parts of the world being the dominant uh, ones. And I think you know, what's made the US so successful in the last 200 years in particular has been its dynamism, its entrepreneurialism, its innovation. But I think that hubris and that defensiveness that's now there now, that needs to disappear with a lot more people than it has done right now. Um, yeah, I, I see a lot more green world leadership in Asia and Asian companies than I do in US ones. When I'm working with US clients, it's, it's that red world leader that's you know, trying to protect their reputation and you know, don't want things to get worse. And you know, of course, innovation inevitably means that things will get worse before they get better. And that's a pretty big hurdle. I also noticed with my Asian clients that historically they've looked to the West to do the innovation. And so yeah, I think China in particular has got a, I'll say undeserved, but a, certainly a reputation for copying solutions from the West and the US in particular. I think it's was really interesting for me, cultural differences in that you know, when we produced one of our Matrix books, we had it translated into, into Chinese. I, it was This was Matrix 2010 to a conference in China and somebody came up to me um, and said, I've made Matrix 2011, 2011. He'd copied everything that I'd done, changed one or two of the numbers. It's like you know, with my Western head, I'm thinking, this is horrific. Yeah, how am I going to sue this person? But in his mind, he was absolutely honouring the work that I'd done. Uh, and, and I think there's that attitude in China. If I copy you, I'm honouring you. But I think what's happened now, uh, and now I mean the last five years in particular, the Chinese government has mandated, for example, that companies will use the TRIS methodology and use systematic innovation. So I sell a lot more of my books in that part of the world than I do in the West. Those companies and the leaders in them are, are saying, well, we used to look to the West for the innovation. Uh, it's not coming as fast as it used to do. So therefore, we'll do it. I think, you, I mean, you just look at some of the giants that are appearing in China now. So the Alibabas, the Tencents, the Baidus, for example. The reason I think they are becoming so powerful compared to their US equivalent is they live in a world where nobody honors intellectual property at all. So if, yeah, if you're Baidu or Tencent and you've just put something new on your website and you've evolved WeChat, then you just know that somebody else is going to copy you in, in the next few weeks. And so it's, it's, it's literally like an innovation cauldron over there. The only way to stay ahead is you, you can't stop those pirates and those copyists. You've just got to keep ahead of them. What you've got in the US is a I think a very litigious society where the pattern is used as a way of stopping other people. And so you actually end up slowing innovation down. And I think if looking at the world from that innovation perspective, you've got an innovation cauldron in the East versus a patent trap in the West. And the longer that imbalance continues, I think the faster the East will go ahead, become the dominant part of the planet. Makes sense. A little scary, though. It's news, though, is it? <laughs> it's <No. scary. laughs> yes. It's <laughs> well, I think, you know, one, because I'm the eternal optimist, one possible avenue of innovation is what uh, some high schools are doing now, why, you know, bringing uh, more of a trades orientation into high school graduation. Right. We're bringing some manufacturing back into the United States. That seems like that could be 
be an avenue. But what I also hear is adverse conditions the leader faces when they try to move a culture away from defensiveness and away from this Mm. sense of pride everybody has in being, you know, so good. And and we're seeing that right now in in Minnesota with 3M. 3M is really struggling as a company across the world. Mm. And I think you're right. I think it was, you know, the success itself that has created some real hardship now for for that yeah. industry. I, I think in the words of the cliche, you know, don't let a good crisis go to waste. And yeah, you know, these these crisis periods in history, yeah, you know, they are intended to get rid of the dead wood in society. The yeah, you know, the, the companies that become lazy, you know, defensive rather than moving forward. I mean, I think in the UK, you know, which has had things, I would say, particularly bad thanks to Brexit and then pandemic. I think within the first three months of the COVID pandemic, uh, it was something like 16% of all the businesses in the, in the country closed. I mean, yeah, permanently shut down. My reaction that is, you know, okay, well, there's the first 16% of the deadwood companies uh, in this country. And what COVID gave those those chief execs and those senior leadership teams was the perfect excuse yeah, to, to close a failing business. And I think, you know, it, it's, it, the phoenix rises from the ashes, I, I hope. But it, I think it, it it needs the education sector to yeah, to create that entrepreneurial spark in kids. But yeah, again, yeah, don't let a good crisis go to waste. It, yeah, that's what the crisis periods are for, I think. As I'm listening, the knowledge world are people who are attracted to looking deep into data, understanding what information is telling them. Don't get too defensive if you fail. Maybe look at failure a little bit more mm. in terms of learning. And that's a tough thing in the U.S culture we right. see failure as uh, failure yeah, yeah absolutely know. those those red world leaders in the u.s that you know that operational excellence continuous improvement leader you know, faced with the prospect that things will get worse you know for the next 12 months heaven forbid the next 24 months they are not used to that world it's a very different mindset yeah and yeah as you were saying mark in green world this innovation world you know you're going to get a bunch of stuff wrong yeah so even though we've got a systematic process yeah, baked into that is failure um you, yeah, you're going to iterate you're going to try things out and you are going to fail but you learn to reframe those failures as learning yeah i didn't fail i learned and, yeah, and, and people like thomas edison completely understood that and i think it's getting back to that kind of mindset that says yeah I've got nothing to lose as an entrepreneur. I think many entrepreneurs have got nothing to lose. I can try stuff out. If I do it in a systematic fashion, then I've got a much better chance of being successful. Historically, entrepreneurs, it's been a very trial and error existence. Most entrepreneurs' attempts end in failure. One of the things that we did at the start of the pandemic was anticipated the fact that a lot of people would lose their jobs in corporate corporate businesses be forced into the entrepreneurial world. So we wrote a book for them that says, okay, well, if you want to be as successful as an entrepreneur, then here's the DNA of that uh, that person. Uh, so the hero's startup journey is the name of the book. Ironically, it was written for the entrepreneurs. An audience that's really picked up on that. I mean, we've, it, it's now our best-selling book already, uh, which is really weird because usually our stuff is quite slow burn, but it's not been the entrepreneurs. It's been the intrapreneurs. It's been people inside the big organizations, particularly those that have done well during the pandemic. Yeah. So the communication companies, for example, the Zooms, the, the, the Microsofts, the Cisco's of the world done really well. So they've had a lot of money to invest in. Let's find better ways of doing things. It's been them and trying to create the entrepreneur inside those organizations that uh, I think has perhaps got some of the seeds of um, you know, where things might head as far as the West and, and its, its future success is concerned. Daryl, this idea that failure is learning just as a human being that is such a a big obstacle for most people you know it's a cultural thing so what are some of the words when you bump into one of these people that 
appears to handle failure as learning and does a really good job of leading through that. What are some Mm -hmm. of the things that you see them do or say that you think stands out differently from, you know, you you mentioned the DNA of that leader. Tell me just in a few words, what are you seeing? I think that one of the things I'm really intrigued about, um, and I, 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 my, my wife's a teacher, socialized with a lot of teachers. And I think what I notice with a lot of them is that when they see a child going wrong with something, they step in very quickly. And they don't want the child to get upset. I mean, various reasons behind that. But I think they step in way too quickly. Um, I think the, the really skilled leader is the person who can see a team, for example, that's failing, can f- identify that sweet spot where he's allowed them to, f- or she has allowed them to fail long enough. They're still going. Yeah, they're still trying to work their way through the problem um, and only steps in at that moment where there's a perception that they're, ne- they're now on the verge of giving up. Yeah, it's, and I think it's, it's, it's almost like pain management, if you like. How much suffering can I allow this team to go through before I step in and help them out? It, it's a real skill. It's, I think it's a, it's a really difficult one so far we've found to teach it. Uh, yeah, how do you empathize with people enough that you know when is the right moment to step in, when you know, that, that failure has become too overwhelming for people? But yeah, that, I mean, yeah, those are the kind of challenges we love in the research team. Yeah, how do you measure those kind of things? Uh, but yeah, I, I suspect that yeah, that's uh, a big aspect to the next generation of leaders, yeah, allowing people to, to fail. Yeah, knowing that failure is learning, but I say also knowing when to step in. That's interesting. And the name of that book you mentioned? Yeah, The, the Hero's Startup Journey is the entrepreneur's uh, book. And it, yeah, it's got some of that stuff about, yeah, failure is part of the process. Very good. It sounds like something I'd really like to read since we're, uh, you know, we're, we're, a copy, I'm sure. we're, we're a startup uh, podcast company. So we we should read it. (laughs) So Daryl, anything that you wish we would have asked you today that you think could either be a future conversation or a future program for people? What are some of the things that your anticipatory set is telling you to take a look at? I've really enjoyed the conversation. It feels like we've covered a lot of territory. I think it'd be be really nice. I mean, this is very selfish of me, but it'd be really nice. One of of the parts of the world that I really missed since the pandemic came along has been coming to Minnesota. So at some point, getting an invite to come back to Minnesota would be fantastic. Uh, But I think in terms of conversations, uh, the things that are really exciting me at the moment. We've just written a paper on truth and AI, just because this this whole AI domain is uh, potentially so explosive at the moment. I think we could uh, we could do a lot more on that. And yeah, you know, the the thing that goes with it, I think, is is truth. Uh, so that's if I would say become the core of our business. If you're in the innovation business, you've got to be in the truth business. I think the big dawning for us in the last couple of years has been that the truth is not just factual truth. It's the metaphorical truth. It's the it's the the, the mythos, the ethos, as well as the logos uh, stuff. Yeah, trying to resolve those two things has been, yeah, I think where, I think where the deepest thinking comes. So, it, 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 if there's an interest, it'd be lovely to explore. Yeah, what does truth mean for me? That's uh, one of the things that's been so important when I look at a leader and a leader that has integrity. They're the people that want to both search for truth find truth, and then speak it. You know, I don't know that yeah. uh, we, we underappreciate that set of skills, that those, those values today in our culture. I think that that's really a fascinating thing for us to talk about next time we 
Absolutely. get together. Absolutely. I know that you love music. I know that you're a left-handed guitarist. Uh, what are you listening to these days? What's the music you're enjoying? Well, I've I've, I've really enjoyed going back out in, back out to concerts because there was a period in yeah, 2020 when I hardly went to anything. So I broke my record last year. I went to 90 concerts last year. I've wow. probably been to uh, 60 already this year. Um, so I, I, I still think a lot of the exciting music is uh, Americana. Uh, so the kind of, kind of folky, gentle American music. Yeah, that's um, what we like. Yeah. Well, yes. funny you should mention that because Joe and I have tickets to see Willie Nelson in June. He just Willie turned Nelson, 90 years old and he's doing a concert about an hour from where we live. So we've, we, wow. have, we have row 13 center tickets. Yeah. Oh, Robert Plant and Alison Krauss also. Fantastic. Now, I, I saw uh, Robert Plant and Alison Krauss when they toured the first album in the UK. And that was an amazing experience. It's, you know, I, I think the second album is almost as good as the first one. Right. Uh, I'm very jealous. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, uh, this has been really a real knowledge ride. Yeah. Let's put it that way for me. I've had to really listen carefully and uh, be <laughs> attentive to everything you're sharing because it's so powerful. Extremely educational and, and it hits home. Yeah. That you mentioned the truth. You're telling the truth. It, that's obvious. So we thank, try. Thank you, Daryl. Uh, we're going to definitely have you back on. I'd love to. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Thanks guys. And now it's time for stories in life, art from the heart, deep thoughts from the shallow end. Each episode, we bring you a poem, a song, or a reading just for you. just like Daryl Mann has been telling us, you got to tell the truth. And that was the late, great Otis Redding off the 1965 album, Tell the Truth. So not only is Daryl Mann brilliant, but he saw 90 concerts last year and 60 so far this year. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? You know, I'm 
completely blown away by this idea of the future innovation being around truth and truth and artificial intelligence that you know the the work of people is going to be to find out the truth by telling the truth and rocking to the truth yeah daryl absolutely loves coming to minnesota we've got to figure out a way to get him here back in the studio yeah and then maybe line up a concert that would be wonderful well, I hope our listeners enjoyed this uh, episode of Daryl Mann and Systematic Innovation. We've really learned a lot. I sure did. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please join us again next time on Stories in Life, on the radio with Mark and Joe, and visit our website at storiesinlife.buzzsprout.com. That's storiesinlife.buzzsprout.com.